You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. Good morning. So as it was already said, my name is Matthew McCartney. And my family and I have had the privilege, and I don't use that word lightly, it really has been a privilege of serving the Lord for the past three and a half years in Turkey. And I want to thank you, really personally, it's been a joy being, you know, as you're talking about seeing my face, it's a joy for me to see your face, and I want to thank, thank you for praying for us, for partnering with us financially, because that is really what frees us up to focus on our vision, which is really surrounded around teaching sound doctrine, the local church, and training pastors. And of course, to do all of that, over the past three and a half years, we've been studying language, which is necessary. We've been studying the culture that we are living in, which is necessary. And so before moving to Turkey, my family and I had the privilege of serving the Lord for three and a half years in Russia. And so it was during that time that uh, we, the Lord really grew even more our desire for the Muslim world. We lived in an area that was predominantly Muslim. And we wanted to live there. That's where we met, as it was kind of stated before that. We wanted to live and die in Russia. And in essence, we came back to the States and with an intention of only being in the States for a short time. And it was on that travels back that my wife started having some, some earaches and started having some headaches. And it was while I was preaching one evening at a church that she was in the back throwing up. And so that evening, we went to the emergency room where the doctors did a CT scan, and the doctor woke me up and said, I just want to inform you that we found a large mass in your wife's brain. And so we began to really walk through this time and this trial of being reminded of the beauty of eternity that the promise will be that one day my wife will not have a brain, can- brain cancer and that she will see her Lord Jesus face to face. And so we continue to rejoice and remind ourselves that we are to count this as a blessing. And it was not too long after that that I was actually diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And so we began to just fall on our knees and ask the Lord, okay, Lord, what are you doing? What does this mean? And how can we serve you? And so my wife was going through different symptoms of not being able to sit in the light. She was having trouble speaking. And really, we, at nights, we weren't talking much. And then, over time, uh, the Lord, in his kindness, took away those symptoms He didn't take away the tumor, but he took away those symptoms. And in his kindness, he put my MS to a halt where it hasn't progressed. And he continued to give us desires to take the gospel to the nations. 
And so we sat down with our elders and we started talking to our friends and really we were asking one question upon our elders. We were like, are we crazy to still have this desire to go to the nations? Are we crazy that my wife has brain cancer? I have MS and we're wanting to go. And all of them had seen our lives as we had been in the States for those two years. And they pretty much said, go. We affirm you. And so, in 2017, we flew and landed in Turkey. And of course, those past few years were filled with joys and they were filled with trials. But we really are praising the Lord that within that time, he has allowed us to start a small little church. And, and when I think about this church, there's, there's really one thing that brings me most joy. There's one thing that really just is an encouragement to my soul. And it's one family in particular that the Lord has brought us into fa- fellowship with there. The husband's name is Hakan, and the wife's name is Sarai. And they are just an encouragement to our soul. They speak the gospel into our lives, and they just continually build us up with the truth of God's word. Hakan right now is co-pastoring this church plan alongside me. And, And I've told him about you, and I've told him about your partnership with our family, And so he has written a letter to you, and I really hope that this letter would be an encouragement. So here's what he says. My dear brothers and sisters, grace and peace to you. My name is Hakan Yuvin, and I am originally from Antalya. My wife's name is Sarai. The Lord saved me almost 10 years ago. For about a year now, I have been serving as a pastor alongside Matt. Matt and I have been praying about a church plan. And so, to prepare, we gathered regularly to talk about vision and doctrine. And then, by God's grace, we planted a church last year, right in the middle of COVID. Within our city, and even within the country, there are so few believers and so few people who even know of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are praying that we would be bold with the gospel. I want to thank you for your partnership with Matt and his family. I give thanks to the Lord that due to his providence, Matt and I crossed paths and together we are now serving and glorifying the Lord together. Matt and Ashley have been such an encouragement to both my wife and me and we often get together to laugh, eat, drink coffee and praise our Lord Jesus who bore our sins on the cross. We count them as part of our family. I also want to thank you for praying for us. And we want you to know that we are praying for you. Although we are thousands of miles away, he answers your prayers. Please be praying for our church that we would not only grow in number, but also grow in knowing Christ who is Lord. Pray that we would be a light to the gospel here in Antalya. And pray that our church would be united in the gospel, in truth and grace, Hakan. And so the, the reason I wanted to open up with this letter is because this letter is evidence to the fact 
that God is answering your prayers. You know, I've heard and I've, I've seen now that you guys have been praying for us regularly. And this is really evidence to the fact that God does answer our prayers. And it should motivate us to continue to plead to him. And it is evidence to the fact that there are those on the other side of the globe that are praising the same king that you were just singing praise songs to. And so in, in our family, they do, we do get the privilege of seeing this week in and week out as we labor alongside those of the church in Turkey. And so, but honestly, as we labor, and if you think about it, as you labor for the name of Christ, it can be hard. And it can be hard because we experience various trials, we experience different suffering, we experience different hardship. And so, my aim this morning is to remind you and remind myself of the truth of God's word, which is Christ is king and we get to be partakers and telling others of his kingship. So let me repeat that. Christ is king and he has saved us to tell others about his name. This is important to know and be reminded of when talking about missions and the supremacy of Christ and missions. But it is also important for each of us in our daily lives if we, as we aim to walk faithfully, waiting for that day when Christ would return. Because sometimes it is hard to tell that Christ is actually ruling. It is easier to look around and see death it's easier to look around and see murder and riots. And it is easier to look around and see di- sickness. And in the midst of looking around to think Satan is the one that is ruling this earth. But I'm here to tell you that that is a lie. That is not what God's word teaches us. And so let's open up our Bibles and be reminded of the truth of his word from Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And let's stand for the reading of God's word. So again, our passage this morning is Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And here's what God's word says. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. This is the word of God. 
Please be seated. So before we walk through this text, we need to remind ourselves of what was told before. Because there is imagery that Jesus is really painting here that we need to understand. And having this big picture of what occurred before will really help us marvel at the beauty of this text and understand the emphasis on the nations. And we're going to go way back. Okay, so just bear with me. So God created man in his image and in his likeness. He was good and without sin. And God told him to multiply and fill the earth. You see, man had a relationship with God who was his creator. But that relationship ended when man disobeyed God's command and rather listened to the serpent. And so at that point, they were marked by death. They were marked by sin. And so man was no longer marked by goodness, but rather he was marked by evil. And so God, being holy and perfect and just, and the one who hates sin, kicked man out of his presence. And so before kicking man out of the garden... God made a promise that one day someone would come to make a way to live in his presence again by crushing the head of a serpent. And so as we read the Bible, this is really this promised one, this one who would come and crush the head of the serpent. This is the one we're looking for. And this is the one we're trying to look for as we read. And so we come and we start reading of different men. And we read about the man named Abram who God called from his homeland to go to a land that was not his own. And Lord said, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The Lord tells him later that Abram will be a father of a multitude of nations. This is why he changes his name to Abraham, which literally means a father of a multitude. And so from the offspring of Abraham, God will make a people for himself. And these people will be great in number. They will be given a land. And they will be a blessing. And so these things are really what we're looking for to fulfill this covenant promise with Abraham. Because it's from the offspring of Abraham that we learn of God's chosen people who are later called Israel. And these people are meant to live under the rule of God as their king and creator where God will fulfill his promises. And as we continue to read this story... We see that they grow in number. But the land in which they are living in at the time is Egypt. This is not the promised land. And they are under the rule of Pharaoh where they have been made slaves. But God in his faithfulness comes in and frees them from their slavery and under the authority of Pharaoh. And so God was victorious. And so Israel begins to worship God as their king. But that worship 
didn't last. God continued to reign over his people, but they would quickly forget all that he had done. As he is leading them to the promised land, he's walking them through a desert, and they begin to grumble. They begin to sin. They start asking for food. They say, isn't it better that we were in the land of Egypt? But yet God feeds them unknown bread from the sky. But then later on, they forget again what God has done. And so they begin to grumble and say, we're thirsty. And so God feeds them drink from a rock. And they forget again and continue to grumble. And so through all of this, we see the sinfulness of man and how we are deserving of death and separation from God. But just in case we didn't get it, just in case it's not enough, he creates a law for them to obey. And so on the one hand, this law really points to God's holiness and his perfection. But on the other hand, it points to man's sinfulness and disobedience. And it really elevates our sinfulness. Because Israel cannot obey the law. They are not good and they are not righteous and there's nothing good in them. And so even within this law, they're told not to worship any other God or not to create a carved image. But yet right after this, we see that they begin to worship a golden calf and one that they have created with their own hands. But God keeps his promise and leads the children of Abraham into the promised land. But the problem is that they are not a blessing to the other nations. They are not fulfilling the promise to Abraham. Some scholars have summarized that their mission was a come and see. Israel was meant to live under God's rule as king and obey all that he commanded them. And the other nations were supposed to see them and follow and worship God who is king. But rather, when they were led into the promised land and surrounded by all these nations, they joined the other nations in worshiping their false gods or even as we read in Uh, Psalm 96, the other nation's gods who are worthless, they began worshiping them instead of worshiping God who is king. And so again, we see their sinfulness. We see our sinfulness in this. And in the midst of all this, God continues to say, he will fulfill his promise by sending one. And so we are reminded of one who will come and crush the head of the serpent. We are reminded of a a way that we will come again to live in God's presence once again. And this promised one who will come will be a true prophet who will declare and obey the things of God. He will be a true king to rule over God's people for all eternity. And he will be a father to the nations. And the promise for God's people is that they will be given a new heart with the law written on it. They will be given his spirit so they will not walk in obedience like the other nations, but they will walk in obedience to this king who is God. And they will be able to forsake the teachings of those around them. 
But the interesting thing about this prophecy as well is that this promised one will serve God's people by suffering in their place to pay for all their iniquities. And so, when we open up to the book of Matthew, it is important to have this big picture in mind. Because when we read the first chapter of Matthew, we read of Jesus Christ, who is of the offspring of Abraham. Matthew is showing that he is the promised offspring to bring a blessing to the nations. And then we read as well that he is from the offspring of David. He is showing that he is this promised king who is going to rule for all eternity. And so, Jesus himself has come. God has come in the flesh And he has forsaken his place in the heavens and come to earth so that we would see and behold him as the true and only God. And after this, he begins to walk around the earth and to teach in truth and grace. And we see that he is calling all to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so we see that the seas obey his commands. The dead are raised to life. The sick are healed. There's thousands that are fed with just a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread. You see, he is the promised prophet declaring truth and grace. And he is the one that has obeyed the law completely without sin. And so... He even displays this through him being the re- this suffering servant that we, read, that we were talking about by dying on the cross and paying for those who believe by bearing the sin of man. But before his death on the cross, he gathers with his disciples over a meal, pointing them to the fact that he must suffer to pay the penalty of sin and that reminding them that they need to remember this. And afterwards he tells them, you will all fall away because of me this night. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So remember that place. These disciples who have been following after Jesus, who is the promised one, will forsake him as king. Israel of old sinned by worshiping false gods and forsook from sitting under the reign of God. And Jesus' disciples will do the same. The reason for all this is that the emphasis right here is on Christ who has come. And they are to behold him as the one and the promised one who is God in the flesh. They are to see. And so Jesus is displaying himself as the true Israel, the offspring of Abraham, who obeys the law completely, even to the point of death. He is the faithful king who will reign forever over his people. God will fulfill his promise through this promised one, who is his own son, to bear the penalty that we deserved. And he is going to make the perfect sacrifice for sin, which is his own life. 
And that's exactly what he does. He dies on the cross and he is buried. And it is at this point that we come to our text. And so listen. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And so in this passage, we see Jesus' faithfulness to his people. He told them that he would go before them to Galilee. Even though they all scattered, he declares that he is faithful and worthy of worship. Death had no hold on him. Satan was not victorious. And he is declaring right here that he is the promised one. God has kept his promise from the beginning by sending one to crush the serpent. And this is fulfilled in Jesus who has kept his promise to his disciples to come and rescue them from slavery just like the Israelites of old from the land of Egypt. And so as we read in verse 17, that when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. You see, Jesus is worthy of worship because he alone is the truth and he alone is God. There is no one greater. Christ is the true come and see that was mentioned in the Old Testament. Christ has come, obeying his Father, even to the point of death. And the disciples are beholding him face to face because he is not marked by death. Rather, he's marked by life. And so, therefore, the disciples are seeing him and they are worshiping. And so our passage mentions as well that some doubted. And so we're not going to really spend a lot of time looking at this idea that some have doubted because Matthew doesn't really expound on this. And so we know from the other Gospels that some doubted that it was truly Jesus in the flesh. But Christ has risen bodily and has come to meet his disciples in Galilee as he promised. Sorry, I'm trying to fix this thing as I'm doing this. My collar keeps nailing it. So, anyway, we'll see how it goes. So, as we continue on in our passage, we come to the famous passage that many really think of when they talk about missions. And, and I agree that we should talk about this passage when talking about missions, but this is also a passage that is really applicable for each and every one of us as we wait for Christ to return. And so, our first real point is that remember that Christ is reigning as king. Because Christ goes on to say to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And, and as I said, sometimes it's hard to see his reign. We've been walking through a season where people are running from the truth of Scripture and they're, and they're really deciding for themselves their gender. We have seen riots and division. People have been gripped by fear due to COVID. In Turkey, we're surrounded by people who do not know the name of Christ and worship a false god. 
And so few have, re- have repented and believed in the name of Christ. And so when we, when we look at these things, we may be tempted to think that Satan is the one ruling. But in our passage, it says that from Christ who is king, that all authority has been given to me. And so therefore, he is reigning. And he is creating a new people to worship his name and to walk in faithfulness. And Christ fulfilled his promise to come and rescue his disciples. And so therefore, we should have hope that he will come again and continue saving a people for his own namesake. And we get to be partakers in that. So do not be deceived that he is not reigning as king. Jesus is declaring his victory and his kingship. But it is not how the disciples thought it would turn out. They wanted to see an immediate victory over Rome, but there was not an immediate change in front of their eyes. But you see, Christ is doing something greater. He has risen and is declaring victory over Satan. And through his resurrection, he is saying, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And so we must remember that he is king because this declare this declaration is a declaration of his kingship. But it does not mean that there is an immediate abolishment of Satan. Because Satan will continue to attack. He will t- continue to come after those who are worshiping the king. But this is, right here, a declaration of promise that one day he will come again to crush him finally. And it is a declaration of promise to show that he already has authority. Satan has no hold on him. And so this should give us great hope and joy in the gospel as we persevere in faithfulness. And by Christ using this phrase, heaven and earth, this declares an eternal rule. This is showing that he has come to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant, which was an everlasting covenant. You see, Christ was ruling then, he is ruling now, and he is ruling forevermore. And for those who trust in Christ, they experience his kingship. And this also means that his kingship is not experienced by everyone. You see, through faith in Christ, we are welcomed into his kingdom to experience his rule. But for those who do not believe in the truth of his name, they continue to side with the liar who is Satan by sitting under his authority. And so in essence, right now, we have two kingdoms. There is Satan's kingdom and there is Christ's kingdom. You see, Christ's kingdom is marked by eternal life to be lived in his presence. And Satan's kingdom is marked by death to be experienced eternally under 
the wrath of God. And as our family lives and serves the Lord in Turkey, we see this great divide daily. You see, there are over 82 million people within Turkey. And, and really, that's just a, a lowball number. Many are saying over 100 or 110 million. But within that number, within that whatever it be, million, we're talking about 5,000 believers. And so many would call themselves would call themselves Muslims. And so for those who are following after the religion of Islam, they are following after a false god. And in essence, they are sided with Satan. You see, there is only one king, and his name is Jesus. And he alone is worthy of worship. And he alone has been given all authority. You see, Christ is your king and he has brought us into his kingdom. And right now we get to be partakers in that kingdom. And we get to be partakers by going among Satan's kingdom and proclaiming the truth of Christ who is reigning as king and will one day come again to take his foot and completely destroy Satan. But we do not know exactly when that day will be. And so rest in Christ, who has declared his kingship, where death has not had victory over him through his resurrection, and live within his kingdom with joy and tell others of our joy in Christ. So our second point is you have been saved to be partakers in telling others of his kingship. And so we have now understand, understood that he is king. And so Christ goes on to say, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, Christ has come and fulfilled. He is the promised offspring who will make a people great in number so that they will be a blessing to the nations and bring them into the promised land. He is fulfilling that promise through you, through us. And so he calls us to go to the nations. And, and this should really remind us of God leading Israel into the promised land. The people of old were surrounded by the, nation, the nations and worshipped the gods of the nations. But the difference is that Christ has come and paid for our sin. God has declared us righteous because of the obedience of his son. Therefore, as we go, we have been given the gift of his spirit to forsake the things of this world and to forsake the gods of this nation and pursue after Christ. 
Christ has already come. Therefore, the nations are no longer meant to know Christ through a come and see. Now they are to know Him through us going. You see, the King has called us to be ambassadors for His name. And in our going, we are to be partakers, to be a blessing to the nations. People do not know the truth of Christ. They have been blinded to the lies of Satan. And so therefore, we are to be partakers in the task of telling others of Christ. We are to go to those who are near and we are to go to those who are far. The emphasis here is on the nations. Therefore, we are to be partakers in both. And so, proclaim proclaim Christ as king to your family to your neighbors, to those at school, and teach everyone of his kingship to the ends of the earth. You see, there is no one around you who is not worthy of hearing the beauty of Christ who is king. You know, I do not care if they are homeless, if they're from a gang, if they're a, if they're a, if they're a prostitute, if they're rich or if they're poor, they need to hear the gospel. And the king has tasked us with going to them to tell of his goodness. And for those who do not go themselves to the ends of the earth, he calls us to partake in this task by bringing the gospel to the nation, by partnering with those who are going to the ends of the earth. And so our family has been tasked with going and we get the joy of telling many who are blinded by Satan the good news of Christ. And so many times when I proclaim the gospel, I do exactly as I've done today. I I start from the beginning and point them to the truth of Christ. And so one of the people that I've had the privilege to share the gospel with is one of my son's best friend's dad, his name is Ibrahim. But when you think about this, and I want you to think, this is one guy in my life, but I want you to think about somebody in your own life, somebody who you are desirous of or have been declaring the gospel to. And so here's the question. What gives us the authority to tell them the truth of Christ and that they're following a lie? What gives me the authority to call Abraham to repent and believe? You see, the authority is in the king who has declared all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And he has given that same authority to those who are his ambassadors. And so, as we go and we proclaim, we have the same authority, but yet under the king. And so, our passage goes on that we are to make disciples. So, when we make disciples, we need to make sure that we are proclaiming the truth of Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ needs to be proclaimed clearly, and it needs to be proclaimed boldly. People need to know the truth of Jesus Christ. 
And it is, our job, it is not our job to pick and choose which part of the gospel to proclaim. They need to know the entirety of the gospel. And they need to know that Christ has come. He is the promised one who will crush Satan. And so as I proclaim the gospel to Ibrahim, I need to proclaim the Trinity. Even though he does not believe in the Trinity. I need to proclaim that Christ has come and that he has died and that he has risen on the third day and right now he is sitting at the Father's right hand alive and reigning as king. Even though this is not what he believes. This is what it looks like to make disciples. And so this is one reason as our family has gone out and our vision in going to Turkey was centered around teaching sound doctrine. Because it breaks my heart to tell you that there are so many people who are also going from the States, going from other countries and are spreading a false gospel. And so we have to go and proclaim the truth of Christ. Even in the midst of hardship and even in the midst of opposition. Because God is going to use you to save a people from the nations. And that is what it's going to look like to be a blessing to the nations. He's going to use you to fulfill that promise. And so as we go, our proclaiming must be to the nations. And so our vision as a church is to see a people from different nations nations worshiping the name of Christ. Even within our city, we have people from Turkey, Iran, Iraq. We have people from Azerbaijan. We have people from Russia, Ukraine. And all of them need to hear that Christ is King. And so currently... Within our church, we see how he is even answering this. We have only about 15 people that are gathering with, 15 members that are gathering with us right now. But even within that 15, we have one from Azerbaijan, we have Turkey, we have Iran, we have one from Chile. And we're, of course, from America, so so we get to just a gathering of the nations. And, And in all that, we are united by the blood of Christ as one nation, as one body. And as we make disciples, we are told to baptize them. And here we see that we are to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, baptism is a symbol of our death to this world and our being raised to a newness of life. We are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because we have been brought into a relationship to the Father through the mediating work of the Son and and the perfect sacrifice who is Christ by the work of His Spirit. And so therefore, baptism is a public declaration that states that we have been called out of the kingdom of Satan and into the kingdom of Christ. And it is meant to be made known. And so even for those who are there, who have come from a Muslim background, this is a big statement. But this is what 
Christ has called us to do. And that is what it looks like to follow in obedience to Him. And so once someone becomes a disciple of Jesus and then is baptized, it says that they must be taught. And our passage says that they are to be taught all that I have commanded you. And so Jesus taught his disciples how the whole Bible was pointing to him. How he is the one who has come and he is the promised one. Therefore, we too need to teach the whole counsel of God's word. And this is true of every disciple. And so therefore, there's this idea here that as as his disciples, we are to go and to teach. But at the same time, we're to be taught. And so this is where there is really this beauty of the local church. Within the church, we are sitting under the authority of Christ and the teaching of his word. And that is really what we're doing right now. We're sitting under him as king. And the result would be that we would learn from our king and that we would go into the nations and teach all that he has commanded. And the aim of our teaching is obedience. Unlike the people of old who had dead hearts and could not obey the commands of the law through faith in Jesus Christ, we have been given new hearts. We have been given the Holy Spirit and are able to obey. And we go into the nations and we are able to forsake the lie that is so much on them from Satan. And we are to walk in obedience to Christ. And so in closing, we come to verse 20. And this verse is really meant to give us comfort and hope in our going. You see, we have seen this morning that Christ, who is our king, reigns. And he is calling us to go into the battleground where Satan's kingdom exists by being partakers and telling others of his kingship. Verse 20 is like a bookend to to comfort us in our going. You see, he says first, go. But he doesn't leave us at that. He says, and behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age. You see, Christ is not just reigning abstractly. But he is reigning as the supreme king actively. He is with you to the end of the age. Though his disciples had scattered, forsaking the name of Christ before his death on the cross, he came to rescue them from their slavery and sin. And through faith in Christ, you too have been saved by grace. And so the king is the one who saves. And has made a promise to keep you through through the giving of the promised Holy Spirit. And so you are free to be partakers in heralding the good news of the king. There is no ground that you will tread that is not ruled by Christ. He is using you to create this father of the nations. And he says he will be with us until the end of the age. And you see, the end of the age is this, play, is this period between Christ's first coming and when he comes again. And so during that time, as I said, it may seem that Satan is ruling. It may look like, and and Satan may attack. 
But he will not rule over Christ. And the promise is that he will be with you. He will keep you. He will hold you fast. And one day he will come again to crush completely Satan. And so therefore, do not look for the immediate change right in front of you. But look to the promise that Christ has given you. For those of you who have trusted in Christ, he is the promised one. And he is your king who will keep you to the end. So rejoice and be partakers and telling of his kingship. But if you do not trust in Christ, then he is not your king. Therefore, when Christ returns, you too will be crushed and receive eternal punishment for following after Satan. Now is the time to repent and follow after Christ. He crushed sin on the cross by bearing the payment on himself that we deserved. And And as we saw in our passage, he has risen from the dead. So join us in worshiping the king and partaking and telling others of his beauty.